uh, seven different characters uh, in the chapters 12 and 13. <clears throat> and uh, each of these things we've uh, dealt with, we've had the, um, the woman uh, that was giving birth to the man-child. Uh, we have um, the dragon, we have the archangel, and we remember uh, teaching on all of those things. And then as we got to chapter 13, we find the beast that uh, was from the sea. Excuse me. <clears throat> My voice is cracking there. The beast that is from the sea and uh, all that he represented and how that his power came from uh, Satan himself. And we believe this uh, to be the Antichrist and the political figure, the one that gains the power uh, to lead the world politically. And uh, then as we got down to last week, we kind of ended... Um, the end of uh, chapter 13 and began to deal with the beast that came up out of the earth. Uh, And this is another portion or role uh, of another person that comes on the scene and has the power religiously. He begins to deal with the religious aspects. Um, He has uh, some power to um, uh, call down fire from heaven. He has power to uh, set up a beast and make an image of a beast and to make him speak. And uh, he speaks and tells uh, a decree, I believe, that uh, says that those that do not have the seal are to be martyred, they're to be killed, uh, and they're not to be able to buy or sell if they do not have the mark. And so, uh, again, if you'll remember, uh, the dragon is very, Satan is very angry at this point. He's been cast out of heaven. Uh, in the middle part of the tribulation period by Michael and the battle that took place in heaven. He's very angry at the nation of Israel specifically and comes after the sealed 144,000 Jews that had the seal of God on their foreheads and those that did not take the mark of the beast that have uh, the seal of God in their foreheads. Multitudes the Bible spoke of earlier in the book of Revelation. Satan is very angry at this point. So again, it's at this point that the Antichrist reveals himself as the Antichrist. He, up until this point, the people thought he was the Messiah, but he now becomes apparently known as uh, this uh, wicked one, the one that's uh, causing a lot of the uh, turmoil and things that we're going to be looking at over the next several uh, weeks as we finish up the book of Revelation. He's going to be responsible for uh, stirring up, um, causing the hearts of the people to be stirred up against God. And understand by now, uh, even though there are many people that are following the beast, they are, not, they are not ignorant of the fact that God is bringing judgment at this time. Uh, the dragon, which is Satan, the Antichrist, both politically, and then the, the figurehead, uh, the, the beast from the land that is the political figure, all three of them form like an unholy trinity. They're trying to pattern and look like God. And uh, all of them are bent on this idea of taking people who do know that this is God's judgment, and to stir up their hearts in bitterness against God because of that. So again, there's not a, a, you know, I know there's going to be great deceit, the Bible speaks of in Revelation, where people are going to follow uh, the Antichrist, and um, this uh, one out of the uh, land, the the beast out of the land, uh, they're going to follow him because they're going to be deceived, but don't, don't mistake the fact that they do understand that God is bringing judgment. They're not blind to this. They're not ignorant of this fact. They are willingly choosing to rebel against God at this point. 
And they have given their choice through the deceit, they've given their choice of worship to uh, the Antichrist. And that's kind of where we find ourselves as we begin chapter number 14. Um, and the scene kind of shifts here a little bit. Let's back up and we're going to read the last few verses of uh, from about verse number uh, 15. Let's go back to verse number 13. I'm just going to read them without much comment to lead into 14. Just to remind us, this is referring here to the beast uh, from the land in verse number 14. The Bible says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them uh, that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. So, again, he's, <clears throat> he's not trying to deny that uh, Satan is involved here. What he's trying to, and what he does succeed in deceiving the people into believing is that Satan is the one to follow. Uh, that he's got a chance against God. And you say, boy, I don't understand how people could do that. Folks, we're living in a day where people are already doing that. It was a time, there was a time, and we've spoken of this recently, there was a time where people were just ignorant of the things of the Lord. But we have far, far surpassed that. In the last two generations, we have gone from a, a nation that was largely ignorant of the things of the Lord and never took time to read His Word, never took time to learn His Word. By going to church, we were given to uh, leisure and uh, entertainment over the weekends, and we didn't feel like we had time to go to church. We wanted to spend time with the family. And uh, as we did so, we uh, grew two generations of people at least, and we're probably on the third one now, of people who not just uh, weren't raised in church and didn't have a chance to know about God, but willingly have chosen not to know things about God. And it has led to the current generation that we have now where there is more and more defiance to not know God. Uh, it's not just a, a, a passive thing, a passive choice. This is something people are actively choosing in this day that we live. That I am not only uh, ignorant of the things of the Lord, but I am willingly choosing to be ignorant. I know He exists. I know that there's truth to be found, but I will not listen to it. <clears throat> Reminds me, and Satan does this oftentimes throughout the Bible, and this should not be something new to us, but it reminds me of when uh, Stephen was stoned, if you'll remember, uh, when he was preaching. And the Bible says that uh, the Holy Ghost filled him with power. And those that were listening, the Bible said, were pricked in their hearts, so much so that they stopped their ears. They literally took their hands or fingers and put their hands over their ears to not hear the message. And they rushed on him, and they gnashed on him with their teeth, and it was uh, chaotic, and there was an insurrection. There was a, a stirring up, a, an, in, an inciting of violence against the truth of God. And, and folks, we're seeing this happen all over our world today, especially here in the United States of America, which is, is all the more shocking. Uh, this could be something we would probably expect to see, or would not be a shock to see at least, if it was a pagan country. But this country has been established as a Christian country and has been established on Christian principles. And to find ourselves in just a short 200 and some years now, 240, 250 years now or so, uh, to be at the place where uh, our country is willingly defiant to God uh, is, is shocking to us. So it should not be, and, and, and Satan's tactic has not changed either. Uh, it's always to create confusion. It's always to create chaos. It's always to create um, uh, hysteria, if you will, in the hearts of people. 
to stir their hearts to dis-ease. Um, we find it happening over and over and over again. Look at the uh, look at the demoniacs that Jesus healed. What were their symptoms? They were cutting themselves. They were throwing themselves on the ground and into the fires. Uh, they were acting like wild men and could not be controlled. And they made no sense, did they? Look at uh, look at the uh, story of Elijah on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal. And when they cried out to their God, they're leaping on the altar and slashing themselves and causing bodily harm and, and uh, shouting and yelling and chaotic and commotion and all of this confusion. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. And uh, I'm thankful that when Elijah prayed, he just simply knelt down and prayed just a simple two or three verse prayer. And God's power fell. We don't have to do those things to get God's attention. I'm thankful the first moment that I say, Father... He inclines his ear. He listens carefully. He's involved in everything that I'm saying. And I don't have to go chasing him. I don't have to vie for his attention. Um, but we find that there is a, a chaos, a, a, a stirring and inciting, if you will. And uh, verse 15, this is what he uses to divide and to cause uh, those that have chosen to follow him to be violent towards, to be angry towards those that have the seal of God. And he hath power to give life, verse 15, unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And so this, when this beast becomes animated and speaks, uh, this image of the beast becomes animated and speaks, uh, he not only speaks, but in his speaking, he, something either he says or the way that he says it causes people to say, if you are not sealed uh, with the seal of the Antichrist, that you should be killed. If you're not worshiping him, verse 16. And he call, and by the way, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound familiar? Uh, I was going to spend a little bit of time on this, and uh, we're going to probably here uh, in next Sunday deal with this issue because it's interesting. We dealt with the book of Ezekiel last Sunday morning in Sunday school. We got about halfway through our notes. It's interesting that this coming Sunday morning in Sunday school is going to tie very closely to some of the things we're learning right now in Revelation. And so if you can be here for Sunday school this coming Sunday, don't miss that. It will help kind of tie some things together. <clears throat> but uh, we're going to find that there is um, uh, a seat of Satan often in this world. I believe that during the time of Babylon, it was uh, Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember the story of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did he do? He built an image, required people to fall down and worship him. And when they didn't worship him, what did he do? He said, I'm going to kill you if you don't. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Uh, over and over and over again, you find in the story of the Tower of Babel, of people rising up and building uh, a tower unto God and, and making themselves, trying to turn themselves into God's uh, themselves. And, and Satan, again, uh, trying to create the confusion there and trying to stir up people against God. Uh, verse number 16, And he causeth all both small, great, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand, or in their foreheads. We talked a little bit about the mark. I'm not going to spend much time on that, other than it is a mark. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that hath the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. And so uh, you say, well, is the mark the same uh, as uh, this number? Um, it says that the number uh, of man... Uh, it says count the number of the beast, for this is the number of man, and his number is 603 score and 6. If you look in verse number six, 17, the mark that they have to have 
is the name of the beast or the number of the name uh, number of his name. So, are they one and the same? It could be. We don't know for certain uh, because there is an or there. More than likely, it is. Most people believe that the number of his name uh, and the name of the beast are are the same. But the Bible tells us that they had to have that mark. The mark. Uh, the name of the na- or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So you had three possibilities there. They could all be the same thing, referring to the same thing. But in verse number 17, it's interesting that he does list three separate things that they could have to escape uh, this persecution. Uh, that brings us to chapter number 14 and where we left off last week and or two weeks ago. I'm sorry, and uh, I've already mentioned, but I do appreciate Brother Dan filling in last Wednesday when I was not able to be here. And a great message on Scripture memory. Boy, if you did not listen to that or you weren't here, uh, boy, you need, to, you need to listen to that. What a needful message. And uh, we all need to learn more Scripture. Let's look in chapter 14, verse number 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. Now, understand uh, John's perspective at this point. He is no longer in his vision. He's no longer in the presence of heaven. He's now perceiving things from an earthly perspective. He's, he's on the earth and seeing things from the earth at this point. <coughs> and it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Uh, this is in stark contrast to those that we just dealt with that have the mark or the name or the number of his name in their, in their heads or, or hands. And remember back the early part of Revelation, when God put a stop to everything, kind of put a pause on the seven seals uh, between the sixth and the seventh seal, and says, you need to stop for a minute while I seal those that put their faith in me. And God puts a protectiveness about them for a period of time and allows them to not have to go through the the persecution, or not the persecution, I'm sorry, the... the, uh, Oh, my brain just went dead. What the word I'm looking for? The natural things that are taking place, the tribulations that are taking place here. Um, the plagues. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, the, the things that were uh, overcoming the world by way of God's judgment, the plagues that were there, they did escape that. But they do not escape the persecution. And so while the seal does protect them from... Uh, the judgment that God was bringing on the world at the time, it does not protect them from the anger of the Antichrist and their pursuit to persecute them. And so many of them are going to be martyred uh, over the next several years uh, as the second part of the tribulation has taken place here. Um, they're going to be martyred. They're going to be beheaded for the cause of Christ. Uh, so even though they escape the, uh, the, the turmoil of uh, the tribulation, they will not escape the persecution uh, notice what it says here in verse number 2. Now, and, and the Bible does say that God's going to help them go into the wilderness and to hide and help the earth defend them, but there will still be many of them that have that seal that are going to be caught and persecuted, even though God will try to protect many of them, or not try, but He will protect many of them. Verse number 2, And I heard a voice from, <clears throat> from heaven as the voice of many waters and the voice of great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Now, there's no singing uh, specifically uh, at the point where this voice comes out. Uh, but when this, this voice speaks and the harps play, whatever it is that is said in verse number 2 causes them. In verse number 3, the Bible says, And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. Now, they, uh, in reference here, were not positive 
if this is referring to those that are before the throne already, that have already been martyred, or if we're speaking about the 144,000 on the earth that have been sealed. I think personally that it's all of the above. Uh, I think that all of this uh, is, is certainly a, a song that is sung. Uh, and the song that they sing is, first of all, a new song. I'm thankful when we got saved, the Bible says He had put a new song in my heart. And uh, God gives a new song, doesn't He, when we get saved? So in verse number 3, those that are singing at this point, whatever it was that, that the voice of God in verse 2 says, uh, the Bible says, "...and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth." which were redeemed from the earth. So this is a song of redemption. And boy, what a song it is. Those that have not been redeemed cannot understand this. I believe this is a song that while the angels rejoice in the redemption of man, it is a concept I don't believe they can fully understand. Uh, I think there's great joy in heaven. The Bible speaks of it uh, over one soul that trusts Christ as their Savior. Um, but this is a song, uh, there was a song years ago uh, that said it's a song holy angels cannot sing. They don't have that opportunity. Uh, and, you know, we, this, ought to, this ought to be sobering to us, this thought. Uh, at Christmas time, a few years ago, I don't know if it was this past year or two years ago, but it was in the last couple of years here, just recently, as I was reading through the Christmas story once again, a thought struck me that I had never really thought of before. In Luke 2, when the Bible says that um, the angel of the Lord uh, came and spoke to the shepherds, and it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And the angels rejoicing. And the thing that struck me was this. Here's the angels. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what exactly took place in heaven during that time period whether all of the host of angels were sitting there in heaven wishing they were the one that could have been the one that came to proclaim to the shepherds, and they couldn't wait for it to get out so they could all come and rejoice. I don't know if there was an anticipation there, an exuberance, an excitement there. But have you ever thought about this? The angels did not benefit. The angels did not benefit from the birth of Christ. They didn't benefit from the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they rejoice. With exceeding great joy. They bring great, great glory to God and they rejoice in the heavens. And the Bible says there's great joy in heaven over one soul that comes to Christ. And the angels don't benefit from it. They don't understand the redemptive plan. Oh, they may have an understanding of it mentally, but they've never experienced it. This wonderful love and mercy that God extends to us. It's something only man's been given. And there's rejoicing here. These 144,000. They begin to sing around the throne. Uh, they've been redeemed. They've been brought, bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, can I encourage us in this? We're going to be praising Him for eternity. We're going to be rejoicing and giving Him all the glory and all the praise for our redemption throughout eternity. Can't we get started right now? I'm so tired of Christians that don't give glory to God and don't give Him praise. It's amazing to me how many are so shy to even speak up about the things of God. I mean, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Uh, let us lift up our voice like a trumpet. I was, uh, I was around some folks 
in a company here about a week or so ago that many of them are, as far as I know, are probably unsaved. And there was a, you know, they're kind of a rougher crowd, and I don't know all their backgrounds, but just by personal experience, more than likely there's some of them there that are not saved, don't don't trust in the things of the Lord. And you know, we get we got to talking. And uh, it doesn't. It's, it, it seems natural, doesn't it? Sometimes just to say something about the Lord and, and in the middle of a conversation. And uh, I mentioned something about being a pastor and how I loved uh, preaching and some things like that. They were sitting at a, a lunch table there, and uh, they all kind of quit cussing and they all kind of started talking a little better <laughs> all of a sudden because they heard me say that. And uh, I, they 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 thought it might have been awkward for me. But can I tell you this? It's never awkward to speak about the things of the Lord. I've shared this testimony a few times. And uh, I have a dear friend of mine. His name is Brother Wayne Korfman. Brother Wayne Korfman worked for many, many years uh, for the telephone company. And uh, he and his wife, uh, when they were young, had come through the Great Depression. And some of the the times uh, shortly after that, money was tight. He learned to live very, very frugally. Uh, Brother Wayne has a heart for missions. He has a heart for souls. I heard him say one time that uh, we, we gave him a little uh, camper to live in there at the church, a little RV uh, on the property. For a while we had an apartment there for him, and uh, then uh, that, that was no longer a viable possibility. We had to put him in a camper. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but summertime in, in Florida gets a little warm. And uh, then in the wintertime, uh, most people don't have a whole lot of heat down there because we don't have a whole lot of cold days, but we have a few. And Brother Wayne, would not, uh, he would not run his, his air conditioner. He wouldn't run his fans. In fact, I'd come over to his house sometimes to see him in the evenings, especially in the wintertime when it would get down cold in the 30s and 40s. For Floridians, that's really cold. And uh, he would, I would walk in his, his apartment, and he'd, he'd have one of these shop lights, drop lights, with a cord on it and a 40-watt light bulb or a 60-watt light bulb in it. And he would take that cord and he would drape it over his shoulder and lean it against his chest to get warmth. He wouldn't turn his heat on. Have one light bulb on. He went through the apartment. Uh, the first time we moved him in, he took every light bulb out except for one light bulb in a central place in the apartment. And I asked him one time, I said, Brother Wayne, you know, it, it costs, costs pennies, pennies. We're running LED bulbs. It doesn't, doesn't cost anything. And Brother Wayne speaks uh, uh, with a, uh, a stutter, and he says, but, but, but Brother, Brother Greg, that, it, 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 that penny will buy three tracks. He'd done his research. He'd heard that on the mission field, many times a track will touch ten hands before it's destroyed. He'd think, for a penny, thirty people could hear the gospel, and if I can save a penny. He retired, and uh, he and his wife... Uh, wanted to be involved in ministry, had a heart for it. So they uh, kept their house in Ohio, and during the winter months, they would travel south. And they had done a couple of different places, I think, at least one other place that we knew of, uh, to volunteer one summer for a children's home, Christian children's home. The next year, they got in touch with us, and he'd always had an interest in printing. And he said, could we come, and and we'd like to spend the winter months with you, and if you could teach me how to print, uh, I'd like to help out in the print shop. And... We thought that they were going to come for a few months like some people do and then move on and next year go to another ministry. And they came down that year and they began to, to work in our ministry. And they said, uh, we don't want you to pay us. We just If you can provide a place for us to stay, 
we don't we don't eat much. We don't use a lot of electricity or water. Uh, Brother Wayne washes his clothes in a bucket. He'll put about a half a gallon of water in. He'll wash his clothes in a bucket so he doesn't waste the water. Um, just the way he is. And uh, lo and behold, they ended up coming down year after year after year. After about, I think it was the fourth or fifth year, uh, Miss uh, Catherine, his wife, uh, who had some physical problems, uh, she got sick, uh, had pneumonia just before they came. She was getting better and was on the mend, and they thought that she was doing pretty well. And So they decided to go ahead. Brother Wayne needed to get to Florida. He wanted to get down there to the print shop, and he came down, and uh, on the way down, she uh, got sick again. She wasn't quite fully recovered, and uh, when they got down there, uh, they came into town on a Saturday night, or Saturday afternoon, and that night they put her in the hospital, and Monday, by Monday morning, she had passed away. He lost his wife. For years, he continued to work. Finally, he came back, and he said, Brother Greg, I don't want to just be here during the winter months. He said, I'm going to go home. If you'll let me stay here year-round, I'll go sell my house and come and spend the rest of my years working here in the ministry and the print shop, and he did. I went over to his apartment many times just to fellowship and try to be an encouragement to him. He's one of those guys that when you try to be an encouragement to him, you leave encouraged. You ever been that way? I felt so much more enriched than I felt like I had done for him. He was far more of a friend to me, I think. And uh, oftentimes we would uh, sit there at and in his apartment and fellowship and in the late hours of the evening. And uh, he would always tell me, he said, Brother Greg, you've got you to take time with your family. They're gems. He said, you've got to polish them. You've got to protect them. You've got to love them. You've got to cherish them. And he would begin to shed tears. He said, I love my wife. And boy, I had watched over the years. He just doted on her and cared for her. I mean, would have done anything for her. And he made a statement one night as we were talking about that. I'll never forget it. We were talking about uh, sharing the gospel. There's nothing Brother Wayne loves any more than sharing the gospel. And when he gets excited, he gets to where he stutters even more. It's hard to sometimes to understand him, and he knows that that's a hindrance. So he's found ways over the years to be able to share the gospel in, in creative ways. And uh, for a long time, he would go into the, the, the grocery stores, and he would take his tracks, little happy face tracks, and he would uh, do his shopping for three or four hours in the store. <laughs> He'd pick up the product and act like he was reading the label. While he was doing it, he was sliding a track inside the packaging. And uh, they got on to him about that and said he couldn't do that. It was product tampering. But he, he would find ways to share the gospel, love to do it. But he made this statement. We were sitting there one night talking about sharing the gospel and why so often it's difficult for people to speak about God especially those that are Christians. We get embarrassed. We get shy. And he began to tear up. And tear began to go down his face. And he made this statement. He said, Brother Greg, we're never embarrassed to speak about the ones we love. He said, I love my Catherine. I talk about her all the time. He said, I want to talk about my Lord like that. I thought, man, what a testimony. A lot of times that we are not willing to talk about the things of the Lord. Here's 144,000 Jews that have been given a new song, a song of redemption. The Bible says that they sing a new song before the throne. I'm so tired, and I mentioned earlier, 
seeing Christians that say, yeah, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, but then they look like they lost their best friend all the time. There's never joy. There's never a. There's never that that. Uh, somebody said it this way. There ought to be an effervescence of the joy. The psalmist spoke of the time so many times. He said, "My cup runneth over," and the the joy that he felt many times. I, I watch sometimes churches, and and I understand. I know. I know that not always does your expression reveal what's on your heart. I understand that that does not always, it's not always the case. I know some people just never smile. That's just the way their face is made. It's the way God created them. I understand that. But it's amazing to me when I sit and watch a church service and they happen to video some of the singing in the church and a song will be singing, Victory in Jesus. And there's a frown on every face in the choir. And even the song director's up there and, and he's leading. And it's all about getting through the verses and getting through the schedule and getting the pastor up to preach. Can I tell you, songs are something God gave to us. Music is something God gave to us to stir the heart and to be an expression of the joy that is given to us. We sing these hymns and... Uh, I loved uh, that song tonight. Living by faith. I can still hear old brother Lester Roloff getting up there. Living by faith <coughs> in Jesus alone. Trusting, confiding in His great love. From all harm safe in His sheltering arms, I'm living by faith and feel no alarms. Boy, I, I tell you, you can't sing a song like that and not have your, 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 your fire lit a little bit. A, a stirring in the heart. You can't sing songs like, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Oh, we can't sing songs like, I come to the garden alone and He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I am His own. I'll tell you this, I don't think you can sing songs like the old rugged cross without your heart being stirred. People that are redeemed ought to say so. People that are redeemed ought to be singing a new song. People that are redeemed ought to be sharing every chance they get. And it ought to be as natural as our normal conversation. Because after all, isn't our salvation part of who we are? There was something that was made alive inside of us the day that we got saved. There's something that ought to stir inside of us when we think about the fact that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. I was talking to a young lady today. She said, you know, I, I was... Uh, I was trying to tune in to your message on Sunday, she said, but as soon as the video came up, she said, I saw you wiping your eyes. And she said, I thought you were crying. She said, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be sad, so I didn't even watch it, she said. <laughs> but it's okay to shed a tear here and there. It's okay to let a shout out here and there. It's okay to say an amen every once in a while when God stirs your heart. It's okay to sing. You say, well, I can't carry a tune. That's okay. God didn't require us to carry the tune. He did say, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. He tells us to sing a, a song of, of gladness and of joy. We're to sing worship to Him. Give Him praise. I, I think when we sing, I like what Brother Dan says, we ought to sing it loud. We ought to sing it with gusto. You ought to sing it with your heart. Why? Because we've, we've been redeemed. These, these, these songs are not just... Uh, a process of the service we go through. 
These songs are a time where we get to come together together and, and sing about how good God has been to us and what He's done in our lives and the work that He's done in redemption. And we get to rejoice together. And it is worship. I'm not afraid of that word. And it is praise. And I'm not afraid of that word either. I'm so sick and tired of the fact that the Pentecostals and the Charismatics and this this uh, uh, this uh, faith-seeking uh, or this uh, Word of Faith movement out here has has so disturbingly changed the meaning of praise and worship that we've become afraid to even use the terms. The Bible still has praise in it, and it still has worship in it. The largest book in our Bible is a book of Psalms. And here's 144,000. They've been redeemed. They've got a new song. They sing it before the throne. And it's a song that other people can't understand. In verse number four, uh, verse number three, he says, No man can learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Uh, we'll pick up there next week. I meant to get a little further in the notes, but boy, that's, we need to stop on that one for a little bit tonight. Because I'll be honest with you, in the day that we live, our world needs to see Christians that God has done something for in their hearts. They need to see it. They need to hear about it. And if they're not going to come to church and see it and hear it in church, then they need to hear it from us out in the community. They need to see Christians that when they say, I'm a Christian, they're not saying it under their breath or mumbling it uh, with their eyes down in the, in the restaurant as they pray. There needs to come a time in our lives where we boldly proclaim, where we stand strong and wave the banner of Christ high, and we sing a new song. We've been redeemed. We've been bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to let people know. We need to sing it out. We need to shout it out everywhere we go. And it ought to be natural for us. We shouldn't even have to teach or preach on it. It ought to just be a natural outpouring. It ought to be a fruit of the Holy Spirit doing a work in us. It really should. It was said of Spurgeon, I know you've heard me say this so many times before, it was said of Spurgeon that people around him never knew when he was speaking to them and when he was speaking to God. It was so natural for him. And it ought to be that way for us. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Thank you all for... Uh,